0: Hello and welcome to what we've learned. My name is Steve Kemish, and as ever, I'm joined by Shane Redding. Hello, Shane. Hi. How are we? Really good. Good, good. Well, we're here today, Shane, to talk about journeys and transformation, aren't we?
1: We are. Yeah, looking forward to uh, this one.
0: Yeah, me too. And it's uh, an interesting one. Someone that you've met over since we've been away uh, between series one and two, where we've uh, we've been doing other things. It's fair to say. Uh, but talking with Victoria Page, who's just started quite recently in May, in fact, so during lockdown, her new role as head of client experience at Capita, uh, and we were keen to talk to Victoria to understand her journey, and as we'll come on to talk about with her and some fascinating insights from her around her journey from uh, more an analytical and even a programming background originally, business to consumer, and as she's moved into her business business role at Capita. And we started, in fact, by asking Victoria to, to explain how her new role's going and what it's about.
2: Yes, yeah, so um, I I joined Capita in, in May um, of this year and um, my, my role is, um, is brand new to the organisation in, in the marketing function um, and it's head of client experience, um, which is really, really exciting because um what we're trying to do is really focus um, our marketing efforts moving forward on on the the life cycle of a of a client with with capita and what that means, um, you know, from a marketing perspective, how we deliver our experience to our clients. So it's um, it's been interesting joining um, during, during lockdown. I've um, I've met two. Two of my colleagues, um, well, my my director and my my CMO, Antonia, um, when I was going through the interview process, and then um, everyone else I've met um, via, you know, the good old Teams um, and uh, video video calls, um, which has been personally for me actually quite challenging. <laughs> I'm a very people people person, and I you know I like to to kind of interact face-to-face so um yeah it's been it's been
0: been an interesting start yeah Yeah. and (laughs) you mentioned it's a new role yeah is that a new role because of environment what was the trigger that capita then said "Look, we want to put this position in
2: yeah so um i would say over the past 18 months um really actually since since antonia joined um capita um, they've been on um I don't I hate to say the, the typical transformation word, but um they've been on an evolution really with the marketing function. Um historically um marketing was, was siloed in um each division of capita. Um and what what has happened um over that past 18 months really has been to to centralise marketing as a function, but also um, put in place the right tools and technology um, to enable um, you know, a, a holistic approach to marketing, a consistent approach. Um, so this role um, was part of that overall bigger picture around, um, around changing and, and um so evolving that the, the it sounds like a passion. classic
0: big big organization it's not a capital thing is that when you've got those those divisions and silos and mm-hmm. and i know as we spoke before we were recording is that capitals for anyone that's not familiar have grown greatly over the years via acquisition so you've got all of these different business units that can naturally become siloed so it's that big business problem of i guess mm-hmm. the, the trying to thread it all together so that if you are a client um you get that same experience and and it's see and shane you, you should come in here just with your experience on customer on cx customer experience of of often it's well hold on they treat me completely differently even though they're the same organization is that what you're you found actually since you've been in may well that's what i'm doing or is as often as the case what i thought i was doing maybe a bit different to that interview that job description when i started
2: yeah and um you know the 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 role, kind of the conversations that, that I was having at interview stage are more were more around this is the you know this is the vision um, for um, marketing what we want marketing's role to be and, and and play in terms of actually you know driving value to the business and and being able to articulate what that value is quite often with. With marketing, it's seen almost as a you know a, a nice to have activity, um, and and with my background around you know data and and you know I'm not a traditional. Um, marketing per se. I started out, you know, as a, as a statistical programmer. That's not your normal path, really, <laughs> into into a customer experience, client experience, or marketing role. But fundamentally, that that those were the conversations that I was having at that point. Um, and it's quite fluid um, in terms of, you know, shaping what that looks like. I think there's there's a a long road ahead in terms of how does that actually get embedded into an organisation such as Capita. I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head um, in terms of the complexity of the organisation. And to say that I was um, slightly naive, I think would would be um, an understatement going into into Capita. I didn't, I didn't understand um the, the complexity um, of the organisation in terms of that growth trajectory that they've been on, um, and, and what impact that that probably has had on the client experience.
1: Um, so, Victoria, that sounds <laughs> as though you have a few a few challenges, and it's also really interesting. And one of the things I know that Steve and I really want to pick up on is um, your background and your career history, because as you say, it's perhaps not not the the one the the <laughs> Straightforward one in terms of customer way, no. not textbook, no. But I just, the first for me, just listening to you talk about that is what was the thing that the one thing that really most excited you about this role? And I know, you know, you said that it's not always what you expect when you apply mm-hmm. for a new role, but what was the one thing you thought, oh gosh, this is really for me? Yeah, um,
2: t- two things actually, um, from a selfish personal perspective. Um, I wanted to use my, my experience that I've gained over, over my career with B2C and see how those learnings could be taken into B2B. Um, and I think that for me was having done some um, kind of work around B2B, um, but predominantly my career has been B2C, I saw a massive opportunity of, of taking those, those um those experiences, really, and applying it to B2B. Um, also, you know, how often does one get an opportunity to, to work in an organisation that fundamentally is hitting every single industry um, and sector? Um, you know, my, my background predominantly has been utilities, um, so I wanted to to go into an, a role that, that gave me that broad outlook um, on 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 industry and sector. Um, But I think from a more kind of capital perspective, I bought into the vision actually, um, around what they are trying to achieve, around really making marketing um, a sole driver um, of value and and being that that engine really that, that can really drive return on investment.
1: And that's very timely I think it's really interesting lots of um, people talking about you know setting up a revenue operations function or Mm -hmm. marketing being the driver value and I agree with you it's a very exciting place to be and I love the fact that you know that buying into a vision I think for anybody is really important but perhaps more important than ever before for us to feel that we can align with that that purpose so you know I'm fascinated to find out a little bit more about where you started in order to get here um, what was your very first job Victoria?
2: So um, well my, my very first job was um, I, I won't take you to you know I worked in a hairdressers when I was younger but um, was actually um, during my placement Year at university, so I studied at um, Sheffield Hallam, and I studied um, a, a quite a generic topic of management science, and I kind of fell into that. Actually, I wanted to do management studies um, because I, I loved the kind of um, when I when I was kind of uh, my dad was an operational researcher back in the, the days in in. Um, he was in the nuclear industry, actually, um, and, and he and I used to talk a lot about kind of management theory. Um, but I ended up doing management science, which actually was, was very different <laughs> to, to, again, what I was thinking it would be. It was very mathematical and um, very uh, hands-on, actually. Um, and that's kind of led me down to the, the programming path. Um, and I did my first job was at um, a company in Bracknell called Quintiles, they've rebranded recently, um, and it's a contract research organisation, and I worked in the um, biostatistics department um, analysing clinical trials, um, and and that was really, for me, set my degree in context, um, because I'd, I'd done all these case studies and, you know, historical papers around the government and scheduling of aircraft. And I, I just, I, I couldn't see how all of this stuff was was applied in the real world. So that year for me, um, working in clinical trials and actually understanding how um, that makes difference in people's lives, um, it, it was, it was a real eye-opener for me so I returned there actually I finished my degree in two weeks later I was back and um, working for that organization um, and I stayed there actually for about five years in total. Wow
0: and and Victoria that transition from from programming and that more analytical, that scientific side of things into marketing. I'd be fascinated to know mm-hmm. did you wake up one day and go, right, okay, this is all too much. I'm going into marketing. I'm gonna do some colouring in. Where was the transition <laughs> for you there? Oh uh, that's
2: really funny. And
0: also it'd be really interesting back to Shane's point, we'll come back to it is you've got that transition from that um, scientific that analytical mm-hmm. programming base very logical to marketing and then that b2c to b2b as well i think it'd be really fascinating to pick on that because lots of people ask me that aren't in b2b what's it you know is it the same have you it'd be interesting to see your experiences there but yeah was it an epiphany was it a, a mm-hmm. gradual pull did you get to wrong place at the wrong time how did you end up in marketing from there
2: yes yeah, so um it it, it had um I always wanted to, to kind of utilise my analytical skills to, to, make, to, to, use, uh, to make decisions fundamentally, you know, how does, how does analytics help to drive um, business decision making? And I think um, I, I got into a position, I moved up um, you know, significantly um, from a career perspective quite quickly within Quintiles, um, but it was a very technical role, and um, I felt that whilst it it was, you know, it was progressing, I I felt that I wasn't fully utilising all, all of my skill set, and um, and also we were doing the analytics, but then passing it to to the um, big pharmaceutical companies for them to then go and make their decisions off the back of it. Um, And I wanted to be more involved in in that process and we just didn't have, you know, that wasn't our role. We were were an agency effectively. Um, So I I thought, well, how how can I take these skills in terms of my analytics, but apply it in a way that actually um, helps make make, uh, decisions? And that's when really I I stumbled (laughs) literally stumbled across an opportunity at 3 um and it was um an a customer analytics and insight role um in their sales and marketing function um
0: and that's 3 uh, the mobile phone yeah uh,
2: sorry network. yeah 3 no, 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 not mobile too. phone yeah um and i was really fortunate actually because the the chap who ran that um, function had a similar background to me, and um, he started out in pharmaceuticals as well, so com- could completely relate to the transferable skills, um, and, and really that, that was that was the big stepping stone for me to to enter into a more marketing environment, yet still it was very analytical, but it meant that I could um, get involved in, you know, translating that. Um, analysis mm. into a story that played back to uh, the business so that they could then go and build their propositions or um, define their marketing uh, strategy um, and, and that for me was, was a real real shift in my career.
1: So Victoria I think that's really interesting you mentioned that that if you like that lucky break of somebody who'd worked in the same industry understanding those transferable skills and I'm not going to ask you how long ago that was but do you think that's something that's changed that marketing is now marketing departments are are prepared to look wider and look at scientists or engineers because of those skills you bring or do you think there's still a bit of a a lack of understanding of how transferable those skills are into modern marketing teams?
2: Mm. I think um I think it's still got a way to go. Um, I think also it depends on um, it depends on the the function marketing, um, the role marketing plays in, in an organisation, um, as to whether um, whether people value those those transferable skills around data and analytics. I would say over over. My, my time, I've definitely seen a shift around marketing becoming more data-driven, um, which, is, which is great. Um, but also, I think if you're in an organisation that, that understands that marketing drives value, um, then actually um, you, you will get more people that are analytically minded in those functions. It's,
0: it's been an interesting shift, and you, you used a great word, translating, the ability to talk different languages to different functions within those roles. Um, within Back into Capita for a second, do you think that um, that role that you're in that effectively sounds like to try and make sure that marketing is kind of front to centre of everything, that therefore we need to show to the rest of the business perhaps the value of marketing where it can really support again does that skill set you've you've acquired help you there that rather than often as a marketer we can end up talking to other departments in marketing jargon and they just switch off but you've got that translation ability to to help with the more analytical the numbers base look it might seem a bit fluffy but here's the really important business or the the data points that back up why your role and what you're trying to do is so important to an organization like Capitas
2: yeah and you know let's let's um let's be quite candid Capitas grown as a as a kind of sales driven organization um <clears throat> and you know there, there's an element of if it's not broken why fix it you know if, if they they're kind of performing their roles and, and, and that's how it is. How how can marketing suddenly come in and help? So, <clears throat> excuse me, I think there's there's definitely an education piece to say, you know, it's not it's not them and us attitude. Um, sales and marketing, you know, working together to to drive that outcome is actually really really powerful and how do we articulate the business um that focusing on on the client uh can leverage um you know leverage value throughout that client's experience with you um and i think there's there's a tendency to to look at those um interactions with the client as as silo touch points
1: I think mm. that's a great point, Victoria. And I think you and I've talked before about mm. some of the challenges of the the data points in customer experience in, in B2B, um, and perhaps compared to B2C, and you you're now in that wonderful position of you know being able to use, I would imagine previously at, at Thames Water, very complex and also a huge volume of consumer data. I mean, how are you finding that comparison in the sort of data that you would have naturally turned to in B2C. Now, as you mentioned, actually those data points particularly might reside in different places in sales teams um, rather than being in commerce. What, what are to you are the biggest differences in the data points that you might be using going forwards?
2: Yeah. Um, oh, in, in B2C, you know, you, you, it's a luxury actually to have that vast amount of data that you can leverage to really understand your, the behaviour of, of your customers and I think the complexity in B2, B2B is the fact that you've got a diverse um, group of, of stakeholders that you're engaging with at lots of different time points across their, um, their life cycle with you as, as, a, as an organisation and Equally, internally within Capita, we've got a lot of different um, parts of the business also interacting with with those clients as well. So how do you start to really bring those two things together? And that's been part of, you know, some of the um, evolution of of marketing that that we've been going through is how do you start to bring those siloed, um, you know, uh, CRM uh, systems um, to, together so that you do have um, one view of the interactions that your organisation is having with with that particular client, um, and also how do you start to from a you know almost top down approach um, think about what experience do you want to deliver? How do you want to show up to that client? Um, And I think these things um, haven't necessarily been been top priority for for B2B um, for a number of reasons, but I think the opportunity is huge once you start to bring all that rich kind of insight and interaction and data points together because you really can start to influence and Put strategies in place that, that starts to influence your client's behaviour, um, for for their benefit and for the organisation.
0: And it, and just it's a fascinating point again because it's it's that it's so obvious right in retrospect that you've got that 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 history of being analytical. Data doesn't tend to lie, right? It it doesn't exaggerate. It is what it is, and that's so important in in any organisation. But when you've got those different divisions and functions and just natural silos that appear in larger organizations you you can make a point and, and it's data telling what we should and shouldn't do rather than subjective opinion or history histrionics etc um how's it been in the in these few months that you've been in victoria because it's i guess with a very sales-led organization as as many b2b organizations would be have you found that actually the help you can give is not so much just marketing, but to try and support the salespeople who are desperate for help because the way they sell has changed that experience for them and those prospects or customers is fundamentally different six months, uh, six months later.
2: Um, yeah, so I think joining kind of mid COVID, um, I, I didn't know what the business was like before <laughs> so I, I was quite I, I was in a unique position really because um you don't have that but this is the way we we've always done things um because everything was kind of um blown, blown up in terms of you know how, how do we um how do we go go through this now what what's what is normal um I think what it showed me actually um was that marketing suddenly um, was was massively valuable, actually, because when you don't have um, the ability to be face to face with your client and have those conversations. Um, you have to find alternative ways of reaching and engaging those those audiences that you're trying to to engage with and you know we talk a lot about um you know digital and how that's evolved over time and and the importance of it but ultimately that has been what has enabled organizations to to keep going um and i think that that realization has only helped the conversation around how does marketing support sales mm.
0: and and i guess for anyone listening in that maybe hasn't had the same path as you that might go well, but you know that you're coming from the science angle but let's not forget the art element that learning doesn't stifle creativity does it it actually enables creativity because you can you can use that to inform well look this is how we we change things to be creative in an environment where it's harder to stand out
2: totally i think every every organization had that you know that I wouldn't say crisis of identity but um it was it was a little bit around you know how, how do we differentiate ourselves at the moment that's credible and and authentic you mentioned the, the word mm. authentic earlier um, you know how, how how just do we go to market in this um world where we need to support our our clients and, and show up for them when they need need us so i think um i think that's that that was an opportunity actually um to to really differentiate and 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 show the value that, that we play in, in not just customers' lives, but our clients' lives as well. Mm. So you, yeah, you get that, that part, virtual
0: seat at the table.
1: Yeah, that, I love that that virtual seat at the table, Steve just said, but also that the whole thing about is so exciting about customer experiences, is that making that difference. You know, you can really, really see an outcome. And I'm just fascinated to you know over your career in terms of, um, taking perhaps some data points, being creative with them, turning them into a story and critically making a difference to your customers. Are there any that you look back over your career in terms of that as being a greatest achievement? I don't know whether it was a campaign or something completely different um, that you're really proud of. So so your proudest moment, if you like, in your, your career today.
2: Wow. Um, I, I think my uh, what I get pleasure out of is is knowing how something that I've worked on has actually made a difference to, to people's lives. Yeah, I think if I talk about my kind of value set, everything is around helping people. Um, so I think where that has showed up greatest, actually in my career, has been um, at Water um, because there is something that you know is all around us every day um you you know you get up you switch on your taps you have your shower um and it's something that we take for granted actually in, in in our country especially that that is a readily available um you know life life required um entity so for me it's it's being um, creative when we're trying to um, bring to life for customers how important that that is to, to preserve and to um, to look after but also how it can um, bring us lots of joy in our lives as well so if you think about those moments um, you know having bath time with your children and and really building the emotional connection, and that's something that you know we we were building upon really heavily at, at Thames Water is actually um, building a brand that people recognise that is is so valuable and it's a precious resource and fundamentally we we need it for for us to survive. So I think being part of that kind of um, evolution within Thames to focus on our customers um, in in a way that's never been done before. It was a massively, you know, engineering based organization. Um, So to really, I was there about four and a half years to shift that narrative internally and externally around the customer um, was probably my biggest
0: achievement. Achievement so far, Victoria? but uh, it's really interesting isn't it because you take it you do take you do listening into you, you do take it for granted and and actually uh, in the utility space often from a from a client experience i guess organisations like Thames water typically hear from customers that point of crisis or frustration it's a really hard one for that client experience to always be right because when we're not thinking I don't wake up and think about water unless I haven't got it you you have to think very differently from your marketing communications in in those kind of environments
2: definitely and I, I would say actually you're shifting there between you know having a marketing role where you're proactively communicating about the value of water to actually also having a crisis role, yeah, a crisis communications role when those things are taken away from from a customer. And um, so, in 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 my time during my time at Thames, a lot of it was how do we ensure that customers feel um, supported, remove that anxiety um, around a crisis. And how do we ensure that the communication is 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 relevant, timely, etc.? But then also from the creativity perspective, it was how do we make people understand the importance and and, and it's complete vast um, uh, approaches to to how you engage your audiences in different ways at different time points.
0: And I, that sounds like a really. Uh great transfer into the environment we've just been the last six months of of Covid-19 and lockdown is that many many organizations have had to think in that way for the first time perhaps of when's it appropriate to go out with a positive sales-led message in in a time of change whereas you know Thames, Thames Water if I have a problem my water's not I'm not getting supply then I don't want to get an email or a message in my virtual physical inboxes through letterbox trying to promote the value or upsell me to something so that must be a great transfer into any organization is they can learn from companies and spaces like utilities perhaps more than they they've they've considered
2: yeah and i think that that was one of you know the biggest um biggest book bears actually around um around thames and um, for me being in in the role that i was in to say you know we're, we're presenting ourselves in this way here how do we be authentic and credible you know we talk about in the in the press there's lots of conversation around leakage and you know fixing leaks yet we're also trying to communicate to our customers to save water you know it, it's How do you join all of that activity up to present yourselves consistently and authentically as a brand? And it's a massive challenge for organisations to do that. But I think, you know, the steps, fundamental steps that need to be in place um, to enable that to happen. And and that's where you start to bridge that gap between creativity and more technical skills around, you know, what are those building blocks that you need to have in place around your data, around your technology. But fundamentally, you need the the customer experience, people in your organization to to really lead lead the conversation around data and technology as well, because fundamentally, it's all about outcomes. You're trying to, Mm. to drive outcomes for your customers and not just focus on what technology is going to plug a gap so victoria no. you
1: said something so to me that resonates mm-hmm. so much which is that uh, one of the reasons i'm so excited and passionate about b2b appointing people as head of client experiences because you you just articulated that necessity to have the holistic view and to see see it through your customer eyes and actually I think you mentioned earlier you know one of the challenges of b2b being very siloed and actually you know if you're in a demand gen team then you're about you know the the net new and then there's another team that's about retention you're not as you say looking at that arc or that life cycle of a customer and how they view an organisation. You referred earlier to the fact that, you know, in B2B we have multiple stakeholders um, within one buying company and they're all going to have very different views. So how how do you, you know, you've got an even more complicated job to do. How do do you bring that lens um, to understanding, if you like, the emotional side? Yeah.
2: And that's, that's where actually having client side experience is really helpful (laughs) um because i've been i've been one of those decision makers around you know purchasing technology for example and i understand internally within an organization what that um what that you know politics actually is around the decision making table um and what the influences can be um with, with certain stakeholders um, that have, have um, an interest in, in, in purchasing you know, technology or a service from, from a, an organization. So I think that's, I, I use that, I draw on that a lot in my, in my day-to-day role when I'm thinking about how do I want to communicate to certain um, people in that buying cycle? And also, how do I communicate to them at different time points through the buying cycle as well? And you know, we, we do a lot within Capita around um, research and gaining insight on what um, what that buying cycle looks like and how it differs as well for different industries, different sectors, different roles, and also how does it differ now? Um, with the the light of COVID. Um, I've I've talked a lot about, you know, you making decisions based on, on insight and data. And I think one of our biggest challenges that, that organizations have coming out of COVID, if we can say we're coming out of it, is what what insight can we use now? Um, because things have changed. And we the insight that, you know, paper that we may have of commission last year around you know buying behaviors m- might not stand true today in this this world that, that we're living in so i think it's fascinating because everything's unknown
0: mm, interesting and actually that insight's a really nice way for one last question to ask if we may is as you know this is what we've learned so we'll ask you what you've learned people that might be listening to this victoria different stages of their career compared to you yeah. is there a moment that you can think of a single piece of advice that you've had or you'd give to others that has helped you on the journey you're on so far
2: great question i think it's not necessarily um something that somebody has, has said to me i think it's something that i've naturally always done actually is and and that is to respect that you you don't know everything and you never will but you can always learn and i think something that's inherent in my kind of behaviors and anyone who who knows me personally or professionally um knows that i'm forever learning um and reading and studying (laughs) um and and i think that's the way that you know we're gonna have to to evolve moving forward, there's there's no distinction anymore that you um you know you do do your time in education and you go to university and as soon as you've got that degree um you know that's career just takes off from, from there. I think you've got to be constantly investing in your own learning um to to open up those opportunities actually um because you know a a career today is is very different
1: to what it was 20 years ago so that was really interesting hearing victoria talk about her varied career and i think somebody said the other day which really resonated with me is that you know nobody when they're they're at school says oh when i grow up i want to be a b2b marketer (laughs) most of us fall into it by by accident but it was it was interesting hearing about that journey and I think learning what Victoria's bringing into her new role from all of her experience and that's her ending point about you know not knowing everything is something really resonates with me because that's one of the reasons I love what I do and I think you do Steve is that we're always learning aren't we
0: Yeah I agree I think my my learning uh, it's wisdom of crowds is always a big one for me and my stock phrases uh, experience is not a monopoly on bright ideas, Shane. I think you can always learn from somebody, regardless of their career or experience length. And as as Victoria articulated as well, that ability to transfer, um, she talked about, we talked with her about that translation, but that ability to take experience from one part of the world, one industry into another one, there's always something to be, to be learned and, and worked on for sure.
1: And I think within that particular role of, of CX, particularly having that wide view, having balanced teams who've got breadth of experience, different things to bring, even more important, so you get that holistic view. But me, that there was one great take out, um, which was sort of really resonating with some of the work I'm doing at the moment, about uh, the point Victoria made that we can't rely on our last year's um database to give us the insight of going to tell us what our customers are going to be doing next year because actually it's changing all the time and i think just thinking about that and what that means for those of us that are using you know past campaign data um, you're using crm data and for me my top tip is invest in looking at trend data and market research data. Market research, perhaps underused in B2B, but for your insights, it's so much more than just the data we already have. It's the data we don't know.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really good point, Shane, because uh, perhaps during, so if we rewind six months, we may have said, okay, the data and the research that we had before then, um, would be okay, but we just need to wait until things normalise again. And of course, as I think we know now, in September of 2020, that the, the phrase new normal, it, it ceases to be, it's just back to this new way of working. So those data points, as you said, are potentially very dangerous to you. Trusting that information is vitally important to get up to date. The, the other point I'd add to that as well is is the flip side, chain. Is it possible that you could end up building analysis from your last six months of programming and as hopefully touch wood cross fingers etc as we ease out of lockdown to not back where we were but to be more free in terms of sales marketing to meet people and um, the way that we market may change you could also run the risk of building um, data hypothesis on your lockdown data and that may not be relevant to you in the future so it feels like one that really is worth exploring yeah i agree Perhaps a topic for another time. Yeah, very much so. I'm sure it would be. I, I think I really liked as well. And maybe I'm slightly biased, Jane, because as you know, my journey is not dissimilar to Victoria's. From that more kind of analytical and technical uh, ability to program and, and coming into the world of marketing, it, it's another takeout for me was you. And and it links to her learning point is you can always learn from from other functions. But it may also be worth going over and educating yourself on on different disciplines. If you can understand, whether it's your sales colleagues or your more technical, your web team, your IT team, understand their language a bit better, it really helps with that translation when it comes to trying to collaborate with them. Yeah, completely agree. Good. All right. Well, look, Shane, thank you very much. But most importantly, thank you to Victoria and thank you to listening in. So that's another episode from us. We will be back very soon with another guest to tell their story on what they've learned. And we'll share with you what we've learned from them. And between times until we next talk, anything else that Shane and I have come across that we think is of use to kick out onto this podcast. As ever, if you want to get in touch, you can via www.podcast.com dot co.uk that will take you to our LinkedIn page where you can not only comment on this but you can get in touch if you'd like to be involved you'd like to recommend people that you'd like to hear from or perhaps a topic or a theme that you think would be interesting for Shane myself and a guest to have a go at in a later episode but for now we'll bid you farewell and speak to you soon